0: You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. As believers, what is our role in discipleship? Find out in this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Discipleship really comes from a heart and it's a culture of people specializing on discipleship and really having a heart for lost people. And um, yesterday was uh, one of the biggest uh, events we have in our church. Basically, it's uh, our conference entitled Now. More than a thousand uh, Victory Group leaders and interns actually gathered in our in our venue in Festival Mall, and it was really an exciting time, just celebrating, uh, you know, what God is doing in the har- right now in the harvest. And uh, what we've done yesterday was we kind of uh, semi-equipped the people by giving them new tools uh, in evangelism. And how many of you know that the harvest is now? Everybody say now, yeah. and that the field is white or ripe for the harvest. And we're asking the Lord to give us laborers for the harvest field. And how many of you know that you are part of the labor force for the harvest? Look at the person beside you and tell that person, you are a laborer <laughs> for the harvest. Okay, Not uh, you know, uh, a construction laborer, but really, you know, you're sent by God. We're all sent by God to go out there and basically share our faith uh, to the people who don't know God yet. And yesterday, we had you know, uh, Pastor Rice Brooks really share a powerful uh, word among all the 15 different locations. We had like almost like a simulcast. Of course, this had been uh, pre-recorded just to make sure that we won't have uh, internet interruption. And so uh, the, the heart of the message of Pastor Rice was God is sending us to open the eyes of people who don't know God. And I believe that the scripture, the message, your very story, your testimony will actually be a powerful tool to be delivering the gospel to the people that you know. Amen? And how many of you still have people in your, uh, maybe in your uh, neighborhood, in your oikos, in your family, in your offices that don't know Jesus yet? You know, I believe that's probably all of us. We still have some people that we encounter every single day who don't know uh, Jesus and who don't have a personal relationship with them. I believe that God wants to use us. So, so yesterday, we've uh, basically taught our people two tools. The first tool is the two-verse evangelism, and the second tool is the two-minute miracle. And so uh, if you're interested to know more about that, we encourage you to maybe meet your pastors, your staff, or meet those. How many of you are Victory Group leaders in here? Can you please raise your hand? And you were there, okay. Uh, maybe ask some of these people, and uh, we will help you how to uh, know more about how God can use you. So these are some of the pictures from our conference or convergence yesterday at the Alabam, or festival mall in Alabama. Alright. Today we are continuing our series on the, the uh, discipleship series called Simple. First week, we actually talked about lordship. Everybody say lordship. It basically is, uh, you know, telling us on how to follow Jesus. Basically, we're trying to define what discipleship is all about. And the first F of discipleship is to follow Jesus. Everybody say, follow Jesus. Jesus. Second week, which is last week, we talked about fishing for men. So this uh, question mark basically represents the lost people. And I believe that God has a, you know, uh, really have a heart, has a heart for lost people. He values the lost. And even the Bible says in Luke chapter 10 that Jesus came here to seek and to save that which was lost. And today we're going to be looking at the church. We're looking at genuine fellowship. We're looking at church community. And how many of you know that as a church, as a body, we are His spiritual family? How many of you know that? That we are family. I got all my sisters with me and my brothers as well, right? So we're family. What does that mean? What does... Fellowship with believers mean, you know, what is, you know, this is the third F. To fellowship is not just to have a cup of coffee with a friend. It's probably more than that. And so we're going to dissect this particular word. And I know that for some of you, this is probably familiar. But I believe that there are definitely applications for us as a church on how we can genuinely have community and fellowship with our fellow believers. I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be reading a scripture From the book of Ephesians, this is actually a picture of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be reading from 15 to verse 16. I'd like to invite everyone to read out loud the text for this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Ready? One, two, three. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this church. We thank you for this body. We thank you, Lord God, for this group and community of believers. Help us and give us an understanding on how it is, Lord God, to be in fellowship, in genuine fellowship and community with other believers. Father, bless the preaching of your word. We open up our hearts to receive from your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. You may all be seated. All right, this particular letter of uh, the Apostle Paul. Of course, this is one of the Pauline letters, as you may know. The book of Ephesians was written from prison. While he was in prison, he was actually writing this letter to encourage the Ephesian church. And Paul stayed in prison for about three years. He was an itinerant miss- missionary. Uh, this was part of his third missionary journey. And if you're familiar with uh, you know, history, the Apostle Paul traveled three times around the cities in Asia. And so, this is part of his third trip uh, among the churches in Ephesus. And Ephesus was considered one of the most important uh, cities in that region during that time. First being Rome, second, Alexandria, and third was Ephesus. And the heart of Paul, when he was writing this letter, was he was talking about basically our relationship with God and how he reconciled all of... all of his creations to himself. In fact, in the the first chapter of Ephesians, it says, and it describes how we were when we were still far from him. In fact, it says, once we were far away, we were aliens, not literally aliens, you know, coming from outer space, but aliens from the covenant. We're foreigners. We're unfamiliar with the love of God but yet God brought us out of His desire and love to be with us once again and made us into a family of believers. And that somehow is a picture for us that when we come as a church, that we are not just to come and not just, you know, we're not just to come and just, you know, uh, warm a pew or warm a chair, but we are to, to participate in the life of that particular church. You know, when I was a, uh, as a younger boy, Like many of us, maybe you're going uh, into a church and, you know, growing up, you probably don't know people there. How many of you are familiar with what I'm talking about? You just go inside the church service or the mass and then all you're familiar with is the nape or the back part of the neck of the person in front of you. And that's it. The whole time for the next 45 minutes, you're going to be looking at that. And then after that you're gonna leave and not meet anybody. And that's I believe that, that that is not church. Amen. Because church you know, church is not a building, we are the church. And yet, what is how do we behave as a church? The next three chapters from chapters four, five, and six basically talks about the the practical application of the lifestyle of a church or the believers. It talks about unity. It talks about love. It talks about, you know, uh, spiritual warfare. And I believe that one of the basic, distinct description of the church is that we ought to love one another. How many of you love your brothers and sisters? And yet sometimes you get offended, right? How many of you? Okay, don't, don't raise your hand anymore. I think this is, uh, is going to be an interesting topic. Though we get offended by the people that we love, even in our own families, right? Sometimes our own family members offend us. Yes. yes. Your wives offend you. Your husbands offend you. Your children. Your parents. You know, But yet, how are we supposed to behave and respond in love, viewing that God wants us to be united as one? That is basically what we're going to be looking at. You know, when you talk about community, community is different from just joining an organization. It is different from joining the Rotary Club or maybe you're part of a country club like the Palms or maybe Ayala Alabang or maybe you're part of a fraternity when you were in college or maybe you're part of an alumni association. Okay? And, um, you know, you may have community with these organizations or clubs or fraternity because there's something common between you and them, right? For example, if you come from a very good school like Ateneo, okay? yeah, I better be careful here, okay? So, so we, we're missional, bro. We're missional. Okay? we always looking outside, okay? We're not just talking about ourselves. We're looking outside, okay? A very good school like Ateneo, okay? And the common denominator between you and your classmates really is you came from the same school. Same alma mater, same song, same chants, like, Hail, hail, alma mater. Oh, that's another chant. Okay, that's another, right? It's from the other school. Okay? But, you know, coming from that mindset, you know, because you're so similar yet different, you somehow have found, have found an association of commonality, which is really what community is all about. Community comes from two words common unity. Okay? You find something common with. You and the other people in that particular group or club or fraternity, but is that genuine fellowship? You know, is it possible that maybe in the same fraternity there are politics or divisions or disunity? Possibly. Offenses. Because somehow your goal is just, you know, maybe for you know, self interest. You're there because you probably find commonality and maybe at the end of the day you're probably asking yourselves, so what's in it for me? What can I gain from this association or what can I actually gain? If I if I'm part of Rotary, you know, you're probably thinking this will increase my network. You know, people that I know actually when I go there, the other guys would actually be some connections that I can have for my like my business or whatever. There's some sort of an agenda that we have. In fact, this particular word, community, is found in the Bible. It's found uh, 85 times in the Bible, 84 times in the Old Testament, and only one time in the New Testament. In fact, the only time community was mentioned in the New Testament was when Paul was being tried before King Festus, or King Agrippa rather, and uh, Festus was describing that the entire Jewish community wanted to kill Paul. That was the only verse, the mention of community. It was in the context of persecution. But yet, in the New Testament, we are familiar that we're not really just using the word community, we're using the word church community. Community in itself, yeah, it's good, but it's rather incomplete. Without Christ in the New Testament, we're now looking at this word, Ecclesia. Everybody say Ecclesia. Or iglesia. Which means church, literally meaning called out once. We're called out of darkness, and we are brought into the kingdom of the Lord's uh, marvelous light. So that is what called out ones" mean. But yet, when you look at community, community basically, and the beginning point of community is family. The first mention of community is found in Genesis chapter 28, verse 3, wherein when Jacob was encouraging his son Isaac not to marry from among the uh, pagan women in their city, and he's to go, supposed to go back to their homeland and marry someone there from his father's household. And the prayer of Jacob, or the the blessing of Jacob to Isaac, or, or Isaac to Jacob was, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a what? A community of peoples or a family. You know, community is always found in the context of family. The beginning point of community really is family. How many of you are part of a family? How many of you have a family? right you belong to one we we want to be a part of family you know what's the description of a family first there's availability there you know your parents are available for you when you need them right our kids are available for us for a time you know until they become teenagers <laughs> they're no longer available <laughs> but that's the context of a avail- family is availability you know, when there's a need in the family, you're there. And the same is true in our church, right? If you are connected with the body, when you have a need, we are there. If we know that you have a need. In fact, one of our, you know, many times in our uh, office, we would receive calls, or sometimes not even calls, but actually just a notice that somebody, a member, has a family member that is in the hospital, or maybe someone whose family member passed away. Now, if this member is not connected to us, we won't be able to be there and be available to pray for them and have service for them. But in reality, we are and we want to become available. And are you getting it? Yeah. But we're not omniscient in a sense that we're not God, that we have to know everything that's happening in your life. How many of you know that you need to inform us as well? Yeah. And many times, you can't inform us because you're not part of the community. If we're not part of the body, if we're not connected to the body, how can we know? But many times, even if we are not informed, the good thing about this community is news travel fast. You know, There was one time, actually, we were ministering to uh, you know, someone who just, whose uh, family uh, member just passed away. We just found out from the Facebook. And we had to ask, do you need any service? Do you need any need? Do you have any need? We're available. We want to be able to serve you. Availability is a description of family and community. Second is acceptance. Everybody say acceptance. How many of you would like to be accepted? We don't want to be rejected, right? How many of you are glad that you are rejected every time you go to the U.S. Embassy, apply for a visa, sorry you've been denied. <laughs> Yay! You know, I mean, do we, do we enjoy that feeling of rejection? I don't think so. We love acceptance. We love people accepting us for for who we are. And guess what? In the family, no matter who you are, whatever your temperament is or your characters or your personalities, you are accepted in this family. Why is that? Because you are part of my home. The abelios, they have six kids, seven, eight, five. No, no, (laughs) no. I'm just prophesying. No, 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 no. Five, five, five. They have five children. And every one of them is unique. And they have been accepted in that home. Right? The penas. Three. Soon to be four. No. In marriage. Okay, anyway. So, so, so acceptance is part of family. When you are accepted in your family, guess what? You can actually be yourself. In, in the church family, in the church community, we don't Yeah, we we don't prejudge people. You are welcome to come in this church community. Amen. Look at the person beside you and tell the person, I accept you for who you are, no matter how imperfect you are. (laughs) And that's a good part about community and family. We can be ourselves. But does does that mean that we have to remain the same if we are in Christ? Maybe I don't think so. If we are genuinely in Christ and if we come here with baggages and with sin and bondages, guess what? Come here for a little bit longer and it's not us who's going to change you, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to change you. But for you to come here first, guess what? We're not going to discriminate. We're not going to prejudge. We're not going to prequalify. We don't say you don't belong here because you don't come from this school. You don't have this economic background. You don't have this particular you know, uh, doctrine. You're accepted. If you will embrace the values and the culture of this community. Basically, everyone is accepted. Also, in family, there's or in community, there's affirmation. We encourage one another. We spur one another. You know, my. uh... Anyway, let's just move on. So, I have a lot of points to share. Church basically is a mirror of family. So, when you talk about church, church is somehow a picture of what we have at home. Pastor, I don't think you know my home. I live in a dysfunctional home. You know, guess what? Sometimes the church can actually be imperfect. And we are all work in progress. So what's the picture of genuine community? First point I want to share is speaking the truth in love or authentic love. Everybody say authentic love. This is love in authenticity. This is true, genuine love. You know, I believe that we all have felt love for someone. We all are recipients of God's love. But what does that mean? How is genuine love expressed in a family of believers, in a community, in church, in fellowship with believers? In verse 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Everybody say, speaking the truth in love. That is one aspect of love that is not really popular. I mean, for us, we think that love is just accepting who I am and, you know, let it be. But how many of you know that the Bible says also in Proverbs 27 that open rebuke is better than hidden love? You know, if there's something that is glaring in my life that needs correction... Please let me know. How many of you would appreciate if someone would tell you there's actually a dot on your nose and you're about to speak before a big crowd? But if no one will speak the truth in love, you will be like a clown there in front of people. You know, sometimes we, even as we raise up our leaders, we have this test called the offense test. We will tell the truth And we will check out if you will be offended. And how you will deal with the offense. We won't do this deliberately, but somehow, sometimes, you know, when when we are corrected, we get offended, isn't it? I mean, don't we? How many of you enjoy correction? I mean, we don't really enjoy correction, especially if it comes from your husband or your wife, right? You know, it's hard to receive correction. You know why? Because it means that you you have a lot of things to change. And sometimes, you just don't want to change. There was one, there was one person who actually, uh, one lady who approached one of our pastors after the service, uh, asking for prayers. And so this girl was really just very sincere about God answering her prayers. So she went to the pastor and she said, Pastor, can you please pray that the annulment process of my boyfriend would be hastened so that I can actually marry him already. And the pastor was actually shocked. He said, what, what do you mean? Because he's married to an unbeliever, and we are both believers, and we love each other, and we want to be together. And so the pastor said, that's not right. Even if we pray for that to happen, how many of you that that is not God's will? And she countered the pastor by saying, isn't it that the Bible says you do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever? And her, her wife, his wife right now is an unbeliever, so I believe it's God's will for us to get married because we are both believers in the Lord. Hallelujah. So the pastor spoke the truth and corrected the girl and said, what you're believing is, you know, is wrong. You know, your sense of love and commitment is wrong. That does not come from the Lord. I mean, are we able to receive the truth from God's Word, particularly if it affects the way we live and our priorities? Speaking the truth in love, the motive definitely should be love and not retaliation and judgment. Amen. Because sometimes you can actually use the truth and use that for... You know, uh, for hate instead of love. First John chapter two, verse nine to ten says, "Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling." You know, this is uh, you know, this is actually a very difficult truth to accept. Sometimes that you know, as you come. In church and attend church, and you know, we say we're Christians, we're lifting up our holy hands, and yet within that particular church or congregation, there are people that you are offended with or whom you don't like to see anymore in your whole life. You know, the Bible says he who is in the light and still hates his brother is actually living in darkness and not in the light. Turn to the person beside you. And a smile. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Everybody say, one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are not to neglect the meeting up, meeting up of each other. I believe that we can build genuine community not just by coming on Sunday, but really just building genuine community in small groups. And you've heard us say time and time again, be part of what God is doing even in the small group. It's hard to be discipled in a big crowd. But I believe genuine discipleship can happen in, the small, in small groups. When you can open up to people, encourage one another, pray for people, you know, be accountable to each other, love one another. Everybody say, love one another. another. And not love another one, right? (laughs) Say this in marriage. You're to love one another, you don't love another one. In the church, it's the same way. Love one another, not dispose the relationship if you get offended, and love another one. This may be a cause sometimes of church splits, And I have to be careful here because, you know, many times we come hurt in a church. And definitely we accept people. But I hope that when we transfer from one church to the other, that we settle our differences from that former church. Amen. It is just so easy to find another church. It's kind of like a commodity nowadays. If I don't like you, I'll find another one. It's kind of like having a girlfriend. If I don't like you, I'll find another girl. But how many of you know that God is the one who places us in our local community, in the church, in the body? In fact, the interesting picture of the church is the church is kind of like marriage. That in Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus said, I will build, uh, 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 Jesus said that he is the head of the church. That husband ought to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The picture of us committing ourselves, basically it's God, Jesus, putting us in the church because He is the head. Second is divine unity. This is related to what I'm talking about. Divine unity. Verse 16a, it says, From whom Jesus The whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. The highlight of this is the whole body joined and held together. By what? By Christ Himself. The real reason why we're united is because of Jesus Christ. We're not united by anything else. It's the blood of Christ that unites us. We come from different social backgrounds. Different culture, different nationalities, different, you know, different experiences in the past, and yet there's one thing that unites us. It's the love of Jesus for us, uniting us. It's the blood of Christ cleansing us and uniting us. It's a picture somehow of what unity is all about. You see different colors of hands joining together no matter how different we are from one another. Jesus is coming back just for one body, not several bodies. He's not coming for a dismembered body, by the way. One united, complete body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 says, There is how many bodies? One body and one spirit, just as you were called to be the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, we are better together. You know, we cannot be dismembered or disconnected. There is no such thing as an unchurched Christian. If you are a Christian, that means that you are connected to the body, you're connected to the vine first, the head, which is Christ, and yet we're connected to the body. You know, many times you celebrate, for example, if you have nice commercials, you see they always choose very pretty models or nice-looking men. And many times the feature is the eyes, right? You know, how many of you know that you have such beautiful eyes? Yeah, but the eye is the, the window to the soul, right? And so can you imagine if you have eyes and you have, you know, if you talk to somebody, you know, you've got such beautiful eyes, what if that person says, oh, you want it? Here's, here's eyes. I mean, what would you feel, you know, if, the, anyway, it's gross. But, you know, an eye is beautiful because it is still part of the head. An eye will become gross if you take out that eye from the head and pluck it out and put it on the table and still blinking that is not a beautiful picture of a member why is that because it is disconnected to the body yet sometimes that is how we are we are disconnected because we think that we can actually just come in and out and not be known and you know not be part of anything else but in reality we're not being nourished properly i believe that the best way for us to be to be properly nourished is if we are part of the body and we can actually function properly. You know, if you're getting married, you know, and you, if you go to the parents of the, your fiancé and if you ask for her hand in marriage, do you think the, the father would literally cut off the hand and give it to you? I mean, it, that's not the picture, right? But what you're asking for is really the hand, the elbow, and everything else. But somehow, sometimes we would misinterpret it to, you know, just cutting off a part of us. Anyway, we can live with another hand. I have two hands anyway. There are no spare parts in the body. Each one is needed. And I hope that we can get that picture. It says here, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, he is in, uh, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. This is a picture of us being cleansed because we have one Lord cleansed by the blood and we have genuine fellowship with one another. And this is where we get the word fellowship. It comes from the Greek word called koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Which means to share in common, hold something in common, to contribute and participate. My question for us this morning, is there anything that we can actually contribute and participate in in the community that we are in. Or are people also part of your life? Can they actually contribute to you, on the other hand, and speak to you, and they can participate in your growth, in your journey with the Lord? Because it works both ways. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty six says, Be angry. How many of you sometimes it's okay to be angry and yet not sin? Jesus one time was angry because of a righteous indignation, and yet He did not allow that to become a stumbling block or a sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for, to the devil. Another verse, in verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. And these are all from the book of Ephesians, talking about the practice of the church. That we are to keep the unity of the faith. That we are to keep away from gossip or slander. Along with malice, be kind to one another. Tell the person beside you, be kind. We're not to speak ill against each other. Be tender-hearted. This is the best part, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How many of you have been forgiven by the Lord? Please raise your hand. You know, this is actually a command coming from the Lord. As we have received forgiveness, we ought to give forgiveness to others. Amen. And sometimes what we want is, Pastor, I can love, but I just don't want to forgive. You know, that can't happen because love and forgiveness go hand in hand. As the Father has forgiven us, so are we to forgive one another. I remember the story of Jesus when one time He was uh, entering Jerusalem, and on His way there, He saw a fig tree, and because there was no fruit, He basically cursed the fig tree, and the disciples noticed that, the fig tree was cursed. And he said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can actually tell to this fig tree, be moved, and it will be done for you. Whatever you ask for in my name, it will be done. And yet in the next verse, he actually attached a verse to that. But if you have any unforgiveness, you have to forgive or else your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. Is it possible that many times the way we ask the Lord in prayer, maybe the real reason why our prayers are not answered is because maybe there's unforgiveness in our hearts. Hmm. Everyone say, hmm. That is not me saying that. It is the Scripture saying that. And the third and the final point is godly responsibility. There's a picture of the genuine community, godly responsibility. Responsibility. Verse 16a, it says, when each part is working properly. When each part is working properly. I've, you know, we're, we just finished our volunteer weekend, and we thank God for all the volunteers that stepped up. And there are people who actually volunteered in the area of discipleship, and these are the interns and the victory group leaders who are constantly counseling people and leading people to Christ and basically walking with them. But the bottom line of all this is I believe if you feel that victory is, a you know, where Jesus or where God is putting you, I believe that there is something that you can contribute to this body. Whether to pray, you know, I, I was so amazed because there's a couple of doctors who actually went to our office two weeks ago and The doctors basically said, you know, Pastor, we would like to volunteer, but I cannot sing. I don't have time to usher because sometimes when I practice, I have to rush to the hospital. I can't go for kid's church because I'm rather old. But here's what we can do. We are doctors. And we'd like to take care of the pastors and the staff. And once a week, we'll be here. Friday afternoons, we will actually borrow your office to become a clinic. And we will interpret your annual physical results for you and your blood chem and guide you and help you with your fitness. Starting from Pastor Chico and so No, no, no. <laughs> Pastor Sunny. No, no. <laughs> but when I heard that, I said, praise God. Because many times when we go through our annual physical exam and we receive the report, we just file it in the folder and put it in the filing cabinet and just pray to the Lord, Lord, may this year not be the year of reckoning <laughs> by faith but when, but when that doctor said you know both husband and wife they're, they're saying after our practice in Makati Med we're gonna ride the skyway we live, in the area, we live here in the area we're gonna be here in the office for a couple of hours to see the pastors whoever is in need of medical counseling we will be here So it doesn't have to be in the particular ministry that we're talking about. But in that case, they felt like God wanted them to do that because that's their gift and that's their contribution. And at the same time, we want to see you pastors live long lives. (laughs) We said thank you. Thank you very much. And the result of this basically is growth. If we are part of the body, if we're united, if you walk in love, if there's divine participation, it's basically growing. We're all growing. The body is growing. This church will grow. You, in your spiritual walk, you will grow because you know that there's somebody who's caring for you, praying for you, standing with you. You're not alone. In the toughest of times, somebody will be there by your side. Amen. And that is the beauty of being part of a community. That's why my encouragement for all of us is, you know, find a small group. Find a a place where you can actually have friends in church. Maybe some of you are intimidated with small groups. You go, oh, what are you doing? small groups? You know, just find friends. You can start with having a friend in the church. According to the social statistics, if you cannot find a friend within the next six weeks, chances are there's a high probability of you not attending that church anymore and move on to the other church because you're not plugged in. But once you have a relationship in that particular community or congregation, then there's a high probability of you growing in your walk with the Lord and you planting yourself in that church because you know that you have people who will care for you and love you and accept you for who you are and help you. My last scripture is this. I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. This is the prayer of the Lord. And he said in John chapter 17, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be what? Be one. Everybody say, be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is the prayer of Jesus that is still yet to be answered. That his disciples, that the Christians may be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. My main point is our fellowship with one another in Christ validates the power of the gospel before the world. The world is looking at the church and it's looking if the church is really genuine in its faith with the Lord. And the best picture that we can show the world is the picture of unity that no matter how diverse and different we are we can actually come together you know our church in victory not only in Alabang but all across the Philippines we are not a theological church we are here because we are a missional church and sometimes we can be varied in our theology some pastors believe in Arminianism some pastors believe in Calvinism Some people have different views in the end times. But we will not let those minor beliefs in doctrines separate us from our walk with each other. And for the past 30 years, we've been walking hand in hand. Though sometimes you don't look eye to eye. Because we are here together for one mission and one goal. We want to honor God and we want to make disciples. We're not perfect as a church. We're not saying we're the only ones doing it. There are other churches in the city who are doing great. And we celebrate their victories. And we pray for God's blessing upon them as well. But as our church here in victory, we're definitely asking the Lord, Lord, use us and make us united as one. And we're asking the Lord for Him to use us, not only in this particular city, but even to go out there to the nations of the world. And that can only happen if we are all united together. There's no division in the church. As one leadership team and the whole body of believers here, standing with each other, loving one another, accepting and forgiving one another, I believe that that is going to be a powerful picture to the world. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in the Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.